PK brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday from 2 to 6 at The Warehouse at 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Oh, yeah. Boom! Time to welcome in Tim Lacombe, jazz radio studio analyst, former BYU assistant coach. He was on Rickman Jarris' staff at the U. Now you hear him on the jazz pre-half and post-game. With Jake, he will be there tonight, 7 o'clock. The Jazz and the Nets, the game tips at 8. Tim, good morning. I love those 8 o'clock tips. I cannot get enough of them, especially for home game. It's just awesome. I believe there's There's a little bit of sarcasm uh, in the mix here. Nothing like I-15 at 1 in the morning. It's awesome. (laughs) All right, so looking at the box score from the Brooklyn Nets game in Portland last night, couple things jump out at you. One, the Nets won without two of their three stars. Uh, they got the victory in Portland, so there's that. And then the second thing is Harden had to play 40 minutes to get that four-point win. It went right down to the end of the game. It was a tight game, and they won it. But Harden had to go 40 minutes. What do you expect out of him, including the possibility of not playing at all? Everything on the table, what would you think? Um, you know, if he does play, play in that many minutes, um, on a back-to-back is a, is a beast. So um, I would say that I'd be surprised. Uh, he's listed as questionable, right? I have not seen. I don't know okay. that. He may well I be. I saw I that somewhere. You but, may have. You know, I don't know. I may be dreamt about it. Um, <laughs> I, no, but I, if he does play, uh, you know, it'll be a – I'm sure minutes will be watched and everything else. It's certainly not going to be – uh, a preview of the NBA Finals, put it that way. There's there's going to be a lot of people missing. All right, so in a sense, how dangerous does that make this team? If they've, they're already going to have two guys, two stars missing in Durant and Irving, and they didn't have either of those guys against Portland, but yet they still managed to find a way to win, and to, to an extent from the Jazz per perspective, it makes me a little nervous. Yeah, these games have been uh... – it seems like we played a lot of them, uh, played a lot of games with people missing. I think that's probably due to the the way the season's compacted and the way people are managing their rosters, obviously, and then um, the, the injuries on top of that. But uh, it, it's been something the Jazz have dealt with, uh, and, and they've actually done a pretty good job of, of staying focused. I think that's the biggest, I guess, pitfall is when teams are missing, you know, multiple guys, you know, I think just – psychologically it can be a a thing where hey we really don't need to extend all this energy and I will find a way to win but the, the most important thing is that the jazz keep focusing on the things that are working and uh, you know that last game um, you know they, they did a great job of of getting kind of getting back to what they do uh, but they really guarded well uh, in Chicago and um, you know they made Levine uh, pretty inefficient, made him take a lot of shots to get his points. So they did a nice job on him, and they kept the, the points per possession, you know, defensively under 100, which is the first time that's happened in a bit. So all, all those things are very, very positive signs. 
So on the list of things you're doing well that you want to keep doing, well, you want Joe Ingles to go 18 of 22 from the three-point arc over a three-game span. And he's done that, 8 of 10, 5 of 6, 5 of 6. But that can't possibly be sustained because nobody shoots 81% from three in the long run. So what has to get better to make up for Joe inevitably, you know, cooling off to the mid-70s? It's been crazy. You know, David said the other night, I mean, the way the Jazz shot the ball from three, the number of threes they made, um, and the percentage they shot, you know, was all very, very positive. Given uh, with, uh, you know, Donovan uh, didn't shoot the, his typical percentage from three. Uh, Clarkson is really kind of, for the first time since he's been traded here, is in a little bit of a shooting slump um, and struggling right now to see it go in and bowie on. So what Joe's basically done is he's just kind of picked up for everybody else. I mean, it's kind of what you guys do at the station. You know, you, you do more <laughs> than your fair share uh, to make everybody else look better. And, um, and and I would say it's about darn time that you guys get some kind of bonus from Joe for, for the karma. There's got to be karma in, attached to his shooting right now, and I think it's because he's with you guys weekly. Oh, yeah, I don't think there's any question. I think that uh... – I discovered him, I like to say. Well, I know you've been working with him after practice, too, PK, in an undisclosed location. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get masked, him to raise the ball higher. Masked, of course, but you're just working on that quick release. Oh, I, I, He's so bored now. He's going Larry Bird, and he's just going to shoot threes right-handed. It, it, it's amazing to watch how much of a rhythm he's in, and we talked about this on the, the post game the other night. But, I mean, he's catching that ball at about – above his forehead and he's barely dipping his elbow you know, he's just flicking that thing he catches it and it's almost like it's already on its way he just has a great great rhythm going right now so that is something that not only joe's got to work on that release point but then everybody who's passing him the ball has to know that's the target that's the sweet spot and there's a story about john stockton and i don't know who it was um, but it was somebody who played here who wrote a book, and I don't know, it was somebody in the 80s, I don't know, it was, I don't know who it was, but whoever it was wrote a book, there could only be a handful of guys who did that, and they said the first thing that happened when they met Stockton was he, he didn't even greet them like most people do, so it was just kind of like, hey, welcome to the club, where do you want the ball? He's like, what? He's, where do you want me to pass you the ball? Where's your shooting motion? And the guy kind of m- mimicked it without a ball, and Stockton nodded and turned around and walked away. The target's important, not making a guy move his feet, reach down to his ankles to catch the ball or whatever. The target's important. So it's awesome that Joe's moved his shooting motion and has it so compact and so high, but everybody else on the team deserves a little credit too. Yeah, it's it's the idea, and we used to talk about this all the time. I actually picked it up at a camp I was at. Um, but the idea of swishing your passes. You know, you talk all the time about uh, shooting the ball and not trying not to hit any rim and be really precise. Um, you know, players work on that from, from short range to really kind of work on touch and release. Uh, same thing can be said for passing. You know, you want to switch your passes. You, you know the target, you see the target, and you try to get that thing as close to the target as possible. Um, you know, another guy that the, guy, the Jazz have done a great job of adjusting to where he catches the ball well and where he doesn't is Rudy Gobert. Uh, Mike Conley actually went through I think, you know, a better part of a year last year trying to figure out, you know, where the lobs go, where the bounce passes go. Um, and this year you see him put a little bit more um, 
uh, a little bit more oomph, I guess, on the bounce pass to get it up a little higher. And Rudy's really good when it's waist or higher. Anything below that, you know, for a big guy is difficult. So uh, you hit a great point, DJ. Not just pass the ball, but pass the ball well. Um, you know, be unselfish, but also have an understanding of where it's going and who's getting it and, and what they can do with it. Is Alex Jensen going to be the new coach of the Utes? Man, I you know you would think I would know um, because I know Al so well. And but it's one of those things in, in life you just gotta. I know he is right now in the middle of an awesome season, probably the one of the better seasons he's ever been a part of uh, since the Final Four run at Utah. The Jazz are just playing so well; they're so well thought of, and their best team in the league. So he's got to balance that right now with uh, what I would assume, you know, at times probably thought of through his life as a place he could end up and possibly a, you know, quote unquote, I don't know this, he's never told me this, but a dream job from, you know, being able to go back home. Um, So I I think it's going to be a really hard decision because he really is imminent to be an NBA head coach. But I've told a couple people, you know, that's all well and good, but they still have to hire you and, you know, they're still recycling. I, I'm still waiting for Hubie Brown to get another chance or George Carl to be recycled or, um, you know, Stan all Is Stan all Larry Brown. Larry Stan Brown. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think he is right there, but I also don't know what necessarily mean know what right there means in coaching because it can go so many different directions. I mean, Jim Boylan was that coach in the NBA. So, I mean, you just never can predict because um, that's not anything uh, you know I would have predicted um, of Jim being a head coach. So I, uh, you know, I've got selfish interests there because Alex Jensen is one of my favorite people of all time. Uh, when I was a, a volunteer manager, you know, back when I was in my early twenties and I was trying to get into coaching and, and uh, I chose that route. You know. What people don't understand is you, know, you get home from a, a road trip about two or three in the morning sometimes, um, and the bus pulls up in front of the school and it's freezing cold outside and everybody goes their separate way, and the managers have a bunch of stuff they got to load into the bowels of the Huntsman Center. And I'll never forget one night. I mean, there were two managers that traveled, and uh, my my buddy Mike Curtis and I were the managers. We were dragging stuff across the the parking lot of the Huntsman and I heard footsteps and turned around and everybody else is kind of leaving for their cars. And Al Jensen grabs a bunch of stuff and he's, he starts hauling the stuff in with us. And, um, you know, his nickname at that point kind of stuck because the middle of a blizzard and we had a bunch of stuff to carry called him St. Al. And I've always called him St. Al. And he's been, uh, one of those dudes in my life that has always been there. And it doesn't matter if we haven't seen each other for a year or two or five, you know, when we talk, it's like going back in time. So, again, from a selfish interest, uh, you know, my, I know Johnny Bryant's name's been mentioned, too, and Johnny's a, a former player of ours. Um, it's getting really weird that former players are being discussed as head coaches. It really makes you feel old. Um, but my hope is that, bottom line is, it works out for whoever it is. Um, Alex seems to be the one that everybody's talking about right now, but I've seen these things go different directions. So, um I'm going to stand over here in the corner and kind of wait and see what happens and then really be excited to jump behind whoever it is and, and, you know, offer support having been a former guy there for a lot of years. So you mentioned something there um, 
about going to the college game, and you can really speak about this because you had to do it. And I think we've all heard that one of uh, Alex's reservations, um, not not maybe not today, but in the past when he's thought about college, is he didn't really want to recruit. That was not his favorite part of the job when he worked for Rick at St. Louis. But if you're going to be good, you have to recruit, and you have to be all in on recruiting, and you have to be really good at it. Can you speak to what an awful part of the job that is for some people? There's probably some people who love it. But for the people who don't love it, what's it like to have to work it up and just like get the enthusiasm going for it? Because you know it's important, even if you don't really like it. Yeah, you know, it's more difficult now um, with you know the way kids are transferring, and it's almost as though they make a decision for a year um, and then you know the, it's kind of like a dress rehearsal for the rest of their career. And the way that the rules are moving, I mean, recruiting is you know, you're not just recruiting guys you know that aren't part of your program. You better be recruiting the dudes in your program every day. So recruiting is the life. You guys have heard this a million times, and it, but it's the truth. Recruiting is the lifeblood of your program, um, and you really do have to find. Um, an advantage. Uh, typically, that's done through you know getting really good assistance. Um, sometimes it's done through getting really good assistance and offering money as well. I mean that's been done before. Don't don't blush, but that's been done before. It does. It, you know most of the teams that are still playing um, have probably figured out a way to to compensate guys. But the bottom line is this: um, it's a huge part of what you do. You better figure it out, and whether you like it or not. Uh, you better find a a really strong passion for it because at the end of the day, you are as good as the players on your team um, and and your ability to coach them up. And certainly you want to start with really good players that you can coach up to a higher level. So um, there's a lot of gratifying things with recruiting. There's a lot of really disappointing and difficult things. Um, But I think that the most important thing that, you know, getting into coaching in the college level, they don't just show up, you know, like in the pros, you don't just, you don't draft them and they sign and you show up and they're there and they're yours. Um, even more so now you're lucky if you sign a kid, you know, uh, and he actually shows up to school because, uh, it, it is an eternal battle and it's just going to continue to get worse. So how much does the head coach have to recruit versus the roles of the assistant coaches? I think it's it's a great question, PK, and and I think it really does vary. Um, you know, some guys are as head coaches can kind of consider themselves the the closer, and um, you know you you have interactions with them, but the assistants are doing the majority of it. Uh, I think the higher level players really want uh, to understand the the personality of the head coach, what the head coach is all about, you know, how they how that head coach sees them and wants to use them because they're ultimately they're the ones making the decision. So um, wherever that point comes where the head coach is totally 100% engaged is different and varies. But I would say that the guys who are, you know, really great recruiters get in really early and have a system by which uh, this recruit by, you know, the end of the, the recruiting cycle, the year recruiting cycle, you have a really good feel or the kids should have a really good feel for what the head coach is all about. Given how the game has changed over 25 years, uh, do you think that what is required to be a head coach on a resume has changed? Because, you know, 25 years ago, Chris Hill would have told you or me or uh, PK, 
he would have said, hey, we're the University of Utah. They're in the Mountain West at this point. He says, we're at the point now where we don't have to give people their first chance coaching college basketball. I want to find a coach who's won and had a track record. Rick Majerus had good teams at Ball State. He went and hired a guy who took Eastern Washington, the NCAA tournament, when he got Ray Giacoletti. He didn't want to give people their first chance. Now, in the case of Johnny Bryant, he hasn't been a head coach anywhere. In the case of uh, Alex Jensen, he's been a head coach in the G League, which isn't the same thing. I mean, you are a head coach, but you're not running a program and a staff in the same way. But I'm curious how much it's changed now because the elite players want to get to the NBA. Both Alex Jensen and Johnny Bryan can say, hey, I'm a player development guy. I know what it takes to get to the NBA. I worked with, in the case of uh, Johnny Bryan, Gordon Hayward. In the case of Alex Jensen, I worked with Rudy Gobert. They've got a really good story to tell in that area. How much should that matter versus the traditional what Chris Hill was saying 25 years ago, which is largely how it did work 25 years ago, and to a degree it's how it works now too. Yeah, I think there's there's a uh, <clears throat> there's an important part of, of having a story to tell, and really, I think that when it comes to hiring a coach nowadays, um, you certainly want to hire somebody with experience. I mean, uh, at the University of Utah, um, you know, I know there were a bunch of, of assistants locally whose names were thrown out, and I just don't feel like it's a job right now where they're going to hire an assistant at the college level to cut his teeth. I think where you've got um, the NBA and, and guys who have been, uh, like you mentioned, Al, who's been a, a G League head coach and also, um, you know, the main the head assistant at the, with the Jazz and Johnny's obviously the associate head coach with the Knicks. You, you, get, you have a story to tell there. And in recruiting, that's really the most important thing. What is your focus going to be? Are you going to talk about – um, you know, you're going to get them a degree. That's, that's what you used to tell kids, you know, 20 years ago. Hey, we're going to get you in here. We're going to get you a degree. Everybody was happy. They left you alone for four years. You got the degree. You kind of, marge, you know, figured out what the, what their career was like. Um, nowadays, it's totally different. You know, they show up. The parents are there. Um, you know, one of the first questions asked is, can we hire our own workout guy? You know, um, can we this? Can we that? Um, and as a coach, I mean, the most important thing is you got to have a story. You got to have some some really valuable experience, and then you got to be uh, you got to be real comfortable and confident in what you're going to push. And player development's a great one nowadays. I mean, so many people lead with that. Um, everybody wants to get better. Um, you know, there's a there's a a funny thing. Most kids show up, you know, in college, and, and they all know the odds. They all know the odds of playing at the next level. But in their mind, you know, it's not going to be them that's left out. So they're all looking at how can I figure out a way to get through this college experience best for me um, and get myself to the league. And so if you've got a guy who's actually been there and been behind the, the scenes and can tell the stories and talk about players and their development and all that stuff, I think that does kind of catch you up um, with, say, guys that have had mid-major jobs and done got a good job leading a program. So. Again, it comes down to more than anything the story you tell. Tim, we will hear you tonight. Jazz and the Nets, 7 o'clock pregame. You'll be there with Jake Scott. The game will tip at 8, and you will be on I-15 at about 1 in the morning. So. Hey, where are you gonna, what are you going to be doing about 1? <laughs> Sleeping. You want to recap the game with me just in the car? Just keep me awake. I am your guide to help kill time on the drive to the game. But on yeah, the way home, except for I messed you up on that last time. I'm like, I'll call you back. You did. You left me hanging. <laughs>
I'll call you back. I didn't know you were in Salt you Lake all day. You like that uh, Dirty Deeds Dunder Cheap we came in with? That was good. I liked it. That was me screaming. Uh, you're the man. Tim, we appreciate it as always. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys. Keep PK. Uh, P- PK, have you got your second vaccine yet? Uh, for what? <laughs> for what? Uh, mumps. <laughs> the booster. The mumps booster. I'd have to get the first one before I get the second one. Started to slide into Majerus there with the mumps booster. I heard that. Oh, you know, I, I got the mumps booster. Uh, you know, it really sent me for all. Okay. Yeah. All right, Tim Lacombe, man of many talents, impersonations, music, basketball, and he joins us here every week on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, DJ and PK in the morning. We'll get you up to speed on everything you missed in this show next. Stay with us.